0: Hey everybody, it's Tony again, uh, back with more bad news from the world of comics. While the world just celebrated Free Comic Day and there was much rejoicing, we were hit by more sad news that the legend, the legend, George Perez passed. And listen, say what you want about Uh, what other people did for the DC Universe, George Perez, He was there. He drew Crisis, and I know it's caused all kinds of ripples, and they tried to undo it and whatever, but there's never been anything else quite like Crisis on Infinite Earths. And after Crisis, I mean, he was Titans, right? That's my thing. And that's the show we're going to replay for you today, Is Max and I on Mandatory Marvel and DC covered uh, the Judas Contract. Uh, So we'll definitely be talking Titans. However, his reboot of Wonder Woman post-Crisis, was spectacular so all of the universe is all of the everything if you're like where do i start with wonder woman 1987 george perez's wonder woman seriously the man is a fucking legend he will be missed it is sad it's a sad time so listen to a better time when max and i talk about titans thanks everybody
1: Greetings, all, and welcome to episode seven of Mandatory Marvel and DC, the show that likes to take a look back at the biggest and best storylines from the big two of comics. I'm your host, Max Byrne, and I hope you'll continue to join me each and every episode as we cover these classic moments that have stood the test of time and crossed over into popular culture. Now, for episode seven, we are in for a treat. Completing his terrific trilogy of appearances on this show, it's writer, teacher, host of the amazing Indie Comics Spotlight podcast and all-round renaissance man. It's the former might of Michigan and now known as Florida man, the oh fantastic God. Tony
0: Farina. Oh. Tony, how are you? Oh, Florida man. Listen, that's <laughs> terrible. Oh, that's the worst. I'm well. I'm well surviving in Florida as my uh, neighbors lick chairs and, and pop <laughs> at each other. I am, I'm safe and sound inside my condominium. Which I live in a condo because it is Florida Afro. So I'm doing well, friend. How are you?
1: I'm very well indeed, yeah. Much like you in the uh, sunny climes of the northwest of England, you know, just getting by day to day, you know. Yeah. Just this uh, whole thing to, to be a, a thing in the rearview mirror, but hopefully uh, sooner rather than later it will be. But uh, That's right. Indeed, indeed. Well, that's obviously not why we're here to discuss uh, the shit in the world. We're here to discuss, again, as we always do on this show, a classic moment of Marvel or DC lore. And as always, it's guest choice. So Tony, why don't you tell everyone what you selected for us this time?
0: Well, we have chosen, for everyone's listening pleasure, the classic, I mean, and I mean classic. This has been filmed twice, at least. I'm sure they've stolen it other places. Marv Wolfman and uh, George Perez judas contract from the teen titans
1: absolutely yeah this is one of the biggest of the big and i'm so glad you you picked this one actually because i've been looking forward to this for uh, for quite some time so yeah yeah it should be good so as you say this is Mar wolfman and george perez from 1984 if i'm not mistaken and the teen titans the new teen titans i should say was launched initially four years earlier in 1980, and by the time of the Judas contract, I, I don't know if this is true, but this is directly from the mouse at uh, the mouse, the mouth of Marv Wolfman himself. He says that at this time, this was outselling any other title in DC's output by four to one, which is quite staggering when you think about it. I mean, what do you think? Was behind the the appeal of the New Teen Titans at this time. What made it more popular than Batman or Superman or the the Justice League, which were much bigger and more established characters?
0: I think that what the New Teen Titans did better than the original Teen Titans, which I also read like in back issues. Like I read these. This was I was just getting into comics at this time, so this was happening to me, and I I found these, you know, in like. Within a year of them coming out, I found back issues and I physically own the floppies of all of these at one point in time. I no longer do, but I did. Um, That would have paid for lots of things if I still had them. What I think the appeal was of this comic series and why it outsold everything was you had, the price was still right. It wasn't, this was when comics weren't a gazillion dollars a, a copy. And every kid could relate to these characters. You hmm. could relate to being in the shadow of someone like Nightwing. Um he was still Robin at the time, and this is when he becomes Nightwing during the series, but you could relate to to like living in the shadow of your parents or an older sibling. You could be an outsider um like Raven. You feel I mean Raven is like the ultimate emo, right? She started emo. <laughs> um you could cyborg, you know, he's he's beyond his control and he's 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 um trying to grapple with. With things that didn 't happen to him, and same thing with Gar you know gar comes from from the doom patrol, and he 's trying to find a family, so I think with the Teen Titans, what we always discovered was they were us, they were all various ages they 're you know between fourteen and nineteen, and so no matter who your target audience is, we could all find someone to relate to i mean and you know starfire she's she is um, She's literally an alien. And so people could relate to time. There's so many things like, I forgot when I went back and reread this, how much stuff she just doesn't know about huma- humanity. And I feel like people yeah. can relate to that. So I really think that's what it is, is they found a group, a core group of people um, who, and I think for, for, I think a lot of girls read this too. This was one of the first comics that I remember knowing girls that opened, that read because Donna Troy is a fucking badass. And I think that, yeah that there's something heroic about her and about this entire group that, that you either can relate to them as people or you find role models in. So I think that's what it was. You just had this – a bunch of people – comics were cheap. Kids could buy them. I mean, if you had an allowance, um, you could buy this. There was nothing yeah. prohibitive about this. These weren't four bucks a pop. It was still less than a dollar a month like yeah. this.
1: Absolutely, yeah. In a lot of ways, it seemed like it was almost like um – not a response to, but kind of a, a mirror to, of DC's version to the X-Men. I mean, we covered X-Men from this time period. Last time you we were on the show, we did God yeah. Loves, Man Kills, which was just, a, I think, a couple of years out before the Judas contract, wasn't it? About 82, something like that. Yeah, yeah. God mm-hmm. Loves, Man Kills. And although it's a, a different sort of situation, different set of characters, there's that similar sort of um, way of it, isn't there? Young people coming up, trying to find a way in the world, trying to, you know, deal with, all the challenges that life throws at them. And it kind of can see some parallels there, can't you?
0: Yeah, well, and I also think, and actually there was maybe a couple of years after this, there was a crossover. There was a Marvel, DC, X-Men, Titans crossover. That was one of my all-time favorite books. I, was, I don't even know that that's in print. I don't know that anybody can get that anymore. It's, it's super, It was amazing, I had that too. And it was really cool because yeah, there were so many uh, similarities between the two groups. Um, and actually Marv, Marv wrote this, he created, invented Terra as a reaction to everybody saying, why did Teen Titans keep ripping off X-Men? And he's like, hold the phone. We've been doing this for a while. Um, but he's like, since people were making the claim anyway, he might as well make a mutant. So that's actually where Terra came from was, was that comparison people were making between X-Men and Titans. And so, uh, but yeah, and I think, you know, and I was never, and I think you're that way. That's why you have the show. I was never a DC only or Marvel only. I leaned toward DC. I read more DC, but I never hated Marvel.
1: No, what's the point, what's the point in that? All you're doing is denying yourself great opportunity to read good stuff, you know? Right. Like you said, DC is my main thing. It always will be. That tends to be what I write about. Um, but why not like one and only the other? It makes no sense. I don't understand why you would be so myopic and so blinkered in your viewpoint that both of them wouldn't appeal to you because yeah. they sing, they're singing from the same hymn sheet a lot of the time. It's, it's, although they're two different universes, there's a lot of similar stuff in both of them. So why hate one and like the other? I've never, never understood that, Tony.
0: Not me neither. And I know there are people who are that way, who are just like, oh, DC's trash. Yeah? Like, listen, listen, if there's somebody you like, okay, so if you're a hardcore Marvel fanboy and you love Captain America, listen, I love Captain America there's somebody in the DC universe for you, you know, to find, like when you and Matt were talking about old man Hawkeye and you guys kind of talked a little bit about how he um, is similar to um, Oliver. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, obviously they have different, like uh, Clint's not a billionaire, but um, you know, like, so, you know, you can, there's, there's similar characters, but then there's people who kind of have the same sensibilities, you know, across DC and Marvel. So it's just bizarre to me to say, yeah, you wouldn't like them. There's there's always somebody for you to love. And and there's definitely Marvel characters I dislike. And there's DC characters I dislike. I'm like, oh, I can't stand whatever that is. It doesn't yeah. mean, I hate DC. It just means I'm not going to read that title.
1: Yeah, abs- oh, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, as a kid, I was exposed to both and that stuck with me. I, why limit yourself? And, you know, it becomes very toxic in this day and age. And especially with the not so much people who've even read a comic, but the film universes and people going, ah, MCU's shit or the dCEU shit. And, and, you know, they could do anything and people would still crap all over it. So right. it, <laughs> um, I've, nev- I've never understood it, but, you know, yeah. it's to their own, I suppose. Who sure. uh, makes me judge and jury on that? Uh, okay, so this one in uh, the Judas Contract 1984, this book has so many... Pivotal, seminal, significant moments, whatever you want to call them. Massive, massive parts of DC folklore are contained just within these few issues that make up this storyline. I mean, just off the top of my head here, we've got Dick's transition from Robin to Nightwing. We've got the introduction of Jericho and his mother, Adelaide Kane. We've got the first time ever, the proper backstory and origin of Slade Wilson, Deathstroke. There's so much going on in here. That's Wally, Wally's massive. powers. Of course, yeah, that too. So there's yeah, a lot Wally. Of too.
0: Uh, yeah, the, the, it's unbelievable. And you know, that's like in the first issue that, mm. that Wally leaves the Titans because mm. he's having trouble with his powers, and like that moves on, obviously. And he has that whole storyline happens later, and then he yeah. obviously after Crisis, which he has to come. You know, he has to take over the mantle, and um, yeah. Like just like that seed was planted here as almost like a throwaway line. And as I'm reading it, I'm like, oh shit, you know, <laughs> that's going to yeah. be so important in yeah. a few years. It's amazing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, and that's his sort of departure is so quick. And so almost brushed under the carpet because immediately after he says that, Dick pipes up and says, oh, by the way, guys, um, I'm going to quit being Robin. And poor old <laughs> Wally there, you even see it in his interior monologue, which we'll get to the, the, yeah. uh, the spe- speech bubble um, a plenty in this book. He even says, God, I really am an outsider in this group. I mean, look how they're sort of all fawning over Dick Grayson and all can't get enough of sort of going, oh, Dick, you know, are you sure about this? And he's just said, I'm gone. And they're
0: like, I'm leaving the team. Yeah, Dick's not going anywhere.
1: Yeah, Yeah, exactly. He's not quit. He's just gonna change his uh, persona, his alter ego, because he doesn't want to be who he is. So they've completely just brushed him to the side. So it's kind of harsh, really. I think there. Um, But yeah, like you say, though, there's so many things just within this limited run that have the ripples have gone now massively throughout and have shaped where we are today in the current folklore the current continuity it really is something quite special so of those things we just mentioned one of the ones i wanted to touch upon first of all is the the full backstory and origin given for deathstroke or deathstroke the terminator as you terminator he was was
0: still called then Yeah, yeah he
1: was yeah i think post the sort of arnie success and franchise i think they sort of shied away from that didn't they i think to sort of avoid any crossover or any confusion, which is a shame because I quite like Deathstroke, The Terminator.
0: I always, Yeah, that's who he always was when I, you know, for me, yeah. I occasionally think of him that way. Nobody does. Yeah. Either, but yeah. Yeah,
1: no, it was good. I, I, I used to quite like that. Um, but this backstory and origin for him, do you think it makes him more of a sympathetic character because you're seeing that although he is a, for the most part, at least at this point anyway, I think in more recent times he's sort of transitioned to being more of an anti-hero in and out and out villain whereas at this point you hadn't quite seen that side but because you see this backstory and the the family life and the events that shaped him going down the path he went i think it kind of takes away from his out and out villainy doesn't it and makes him you feel for the guy a little bit more at least i think you do
0: well i think what you see is that he loves somebody um Mm. that he loves like the whole judas contract exists and the dodge with when you starts, you think Brother Blood's the villain, um, yeah. uh, which is he's such a great character i 've always loved loved to hate Brother Blood and Mother mayhem. What a, I mean, I love them as villains, but um, the the dodge is that um, you think it's them, and the only reason that Slade's doing this is because his son was killed in, um, who's also co- sort of a villain in service to brother Blood, and so yeah. you learn that that like he cares about his family. And that's what humanizes him, that he doesn't give a shit about anybody. And he definitely doesn't care about Tara in this, but he, but he cares about his son. So I think what it shows is that um, no matter how awful you are, you have, um, you know, you care about somebody. And I think that's important uh, because up until that point, right, he's almost robotic and you see that he's not. So I think it humanizes him a little bit. He still is definitely a psycho killer. I mean, what he, his manipulation of, and we can, you know, when I know we'll get to that, what, the deal with Tara. But um, yeah, I definitely think it's really great to know. And what I find pretty fascinating is, you know, as origins change and uh, this kind of stuck, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, just, not really, it's not really been messed with.
0: They, and that's, that tells you how solid it is and, and how complicated and good they, Marv and George were about plotting. Because generally, I mean, think about all the times, all the characters, even Batman's origin has changed a few times. And um, depending on which universe you're in, New 52, whatever. But Terminator, Deathstroke has stayed the same guy the whole mm. time. And so I, I really think that's testament to how smart it was and how complicated it is. And, you know, if, if you put yourself in his position, he truly was just a good soldier. Yeah. He really wanted to do the right thing and then he felt betrayed. And so uh, it's, it is pretty fascinating.
1: It is, yeah. I mean, you know, he finds himself sort of lost when he gets sort of invalided out of the army, doesn't he? And then he takes the path he takes because he misses that sense of purpose, that sense of direction, sense of adventure, if you will. And and also kind of to provide for his family as well. Yeah, right.
0: That's right. He doesn't have any way. Yeah, because his wife was a captain in the military. She's 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 no longer active duty because they have two kids back to back.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so he's got to actually go out and uh, put a roof over his family's head. So, I mean, it's you know, not the sort of normal career path one would choose. But <laughs> right, I, mercenary yeah. was not on my list of things. No, I've never <laughs> found Assassin for Hire when I've been looking for jobs. I've never quite found that in any job website. But, <laughs> yeah, indeed.com Assassin for Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've never seen it. No, I must start looking on the dark web and see where these opportunities <laughs> open up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, so you, you can understand that. He does a lot of terrible things and continues to, continues to do a lot of terrible things, but there is it's rooted, isn't it, in that sense of you know trying to provide a life for those he cares about.
0: Yeah, and he justifies it, and I think that there's there's something that we can all think about, like uh, we justify what we do for our family, and there's things like yes. you, you you and your boys, like you know me and my girls. What would you do? What would you do for them? It's different than what you'd do for the neighbor.
1: Yeah. Oh, exactly. And, yeah. You know, and, so,
0: and so I think that's really realistic that, that we can think about Slade. Um, and it's interesting too, because Slade being the villain of the Titans, like the worst villain the Titans have ever faced is always one man. And, you know, he could, and he is the father of one of them. And um, so it's just really, it's, again, I think it's a really smart commentary by, by Marv and George too, about what you were saying earlier, you know, um, that why is this such a the best-selling book not justice league where there's these you know these well-established major characters well slade yeah. is their contemporaries and who's he fighting with a bunch of kids and the kids get their ass kicked by him but they're resilient and so i think slade the reason slade is the best titan's villain is because he is air quotes the man he's the person he's the 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 older generation telling them they suck and they can't do it and he gives them a whipping a lot he kicks their ass so many times and they learn from that ass whooping so yeah. um I, I think that's another reason why i've always liked slade as as their villain and i'm less of a fan of him as an anti-hero now um i like him just being a villain i want him to be a baddie
1: yeah i do as well i think i prefer him when he's being a, a- piece of shit as yeah. opposed to someone with a, a moral compass i mean this week's issue of batman he's sort of quasi teaming up with batman in this new issue that's just hit the newsstands stands this week i have not read and that it's, one yet it's that's a good issue i highly recommend it it's brilliant but it's i want to see i don't want to see him stand shoulder to shoulder with batman i want to see him face to face trying to chop his head head off you know that's what i, yeah. I want to see and i said wilson
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah. So again, like you said, it's he's humanized in this book, and you understand his motivation, but you also understand that he, if the Titans are in his way, off with their heads because don't fuck mm. his kids. Yeah, and um, and you know he, he can sort of blame them for the you know Ravagers, his son, and, and um, you know he he puts the onus on the Titans for had for his demise.
1: Mm yeah exactly yeah and then that's the whole his whole reason for getting them is he's trying to honor his son's contract isn't it his son had the contract with hive who i I love the acronym hive as well hierarchy of international vengeance and extermination that is like something straight out of a bond film it really is
0: it really is
1: it is it's great um but yeah he's he's literally just trying to fulfill his son's obligations isn't he it's not it's not a sense of doing it for doing its sake or trying to be a villain as <laughs> sort. He's just trying to fulfill the, the contract that his son had with Hive, isn't it? For honor, I guess, in a sort of perverted, twisted kind of way.
0: Yeah, but I think that's right. That's what you're saying. That's part of what humanizes him is that it's perverted yeah. to a, a normal, but to Slade, it makes perfect sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of Slade in his more sort of villainous, questionable ways, we'll we'll move on to the character of Tara, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> yeah, or, or Tara Markov to give her a real name. Now, p- probably the most controversial aspect of this book, and you know, it's still controversial to this day because of the circumstance of it. The Tara Markov character in this book, and it's they do mention her age in this book, saying that she's barely sixteen.
0: So yeah, she like by just in. a month or something, yeah,
1: exactly. So she would have been first sort of in contact with an interaction with Slade when she was 15
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, in, re- in reality. And obviously, again, spoilers for anyone who hasn't read this book, I suggest you go and read it before you, uh, yeah, on. absolutely, yeah,
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> to yeah, yeah. The start, so yeah, spoilers. Um, we know that obviously she's a member of the, the Teen Titans as sort of Slade sleeper agent, she's there to gather intel on the titans, help him discover the weaknesses, help him discover a way to get in there and pull them apart and take them to Hive. Um and in the context of doing that, her and Slade are in a physical relationship. It's never overly explicitly depicted in the book, but it's explicitly alluded to. So we do know that they have been doing that. I think they even mentioned it said they were lovers or something like that. And Slade is a middle aged man, you know, he's Anywhere from his forties to his fifties, depending on how he's depicted, you know how they how they portray him. But he's he's certainly middle-aged. He's not a he's not a young man in his twenties or thirties. So that's very dodgy ground to be on. To have a teenage girl, and you know, we're talking a mid-teenage girl. We're not talking a nineteen-year-old girl here, right? Because yeah. we're turning twenty. You know, this is a child in, for all intents and purposes, in a physical relationship with a middle-aged man, um, which as well as being illegal <laughs> is also pretty immoral stuff, I mean, what was your take on that when you first read it i mean it's it's not something you would tend to see, especially in the pages of a mainstream high, highly well selling d c book is it
0: no, right, so I read this as a, as a thirteen i think I, I didn't i was probably thirteen when I read this yeah. or maybe fourteen but I, I know that I found that you know the back issues so um it was at that time, it was kind of one of those things where you had to, because what you see is the first time you find out that Tara is with Slade, she is, um, you know, with like on her, on team Slade. And then is, is you see her at the Terminator mansion or whatever yeah. his hideout is. And she's in like negligee smoking a cigarette with like yeah. red lipstick on. And up to that point, you know, she's like fending off the sexual advances of one Garfield Logan. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like incessantly, and we know we'll talk. We've 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 written back and forth about this, so I know we'll talk about that.
1: Uh, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, which is obviously inappropriate on his part, but a more appropriate relationship. So that's what we see, and she's always coming across as like I'm not interested and stand down and whatever. And then you find out you know she's in this sexual relationship with this guy. So I remember as a child, not like having to, because you said it's not explicitly said until later, I think she says lover one time, but they say to each other a lot. So I remember looking at my friend uh, who was reading Titans at the time too. And I was like, dude, what's going on with Tara? And we had to like talk through it as, you know, young, like younger than Tara, teenage boys. And we came to the realization that was happening. And we thought that was pretty nasty, even then. And now as an adult, who's about to be 47, who has daughters, who's raised children. Now they are all adults, but who raised children, you know, it's um, even more disturbing and disgusting. So I never thought like, awesome. Um, It was always really gross, but I always thought it was, again, one of those things that was in case you wanted to feel too compassionately about Slade Wilson, don't forget he's a piece of shit. He is having sex with the child.
1: Yeah, exactly, yeah. I mean, bizarrely as well, I watched an interview a couple of days ago. It was like a video sit-down interview with Wolfman and Perez. They were talking about this book, and Marl Wolfman said that, to the best of his knowledge at least, DC didn't receive any complaints about that situation. The people were more bothered and brought more or less claim about what ultimately happens to Tara at the end of this uh, Mm -hmm. little storyline. So people were more bothered about that than the fact that they were depicting this. I mean, it beggars belief to me that, you know, in a, I mean, I don't know what the situation was was like in America in the mid 80s. You would know more than me on that. But I would have thought in the more conservative parts of America under a, especially under a Reagan. It was a Reagan administration. Right-wing government that such things would be severely frowned upon. And that, um, I I suppose at that point, it was pre-Tipper Gore. But that kind of, that kind of feeling, that censorship, that, you know, anti-corruption uh, of the youth. I would have thought that people would have been up in arms about this, at that time at least.
0: I, well, here's what I think it is. I think this came out in the dead zone of comic books being in popular culture. So this is post Christopher Reeve, Superman, and pre-Michael Keaton Batman. And so right. what happened is, we nerds, you know, because you were, you were one. Um, there's, we love what we love and we love it all of our lives, regardless of what pop culture says. And yeah, there was, there was this time where, and it was around, I'd say between like whatever Superman three came out cause Superman four, as we all know, is a fucking dumpster fire, but like <laughs> after Superman three came out, but yeah. before Batman 89, there's nothing. Um, there's that Matt Salinger Captain America maybe is in there maybe that was even 1990. I, I think it, I think that
1: was 1990. That yeah. was fucking awful. Yeah. Okay, well <laughs> it's anyway. Dreadful, yeah.
0: So, so <laughs> there's like there's nothing right. Maybe, no. There's maybe like the Toxic Avenger and there's just like yeah. so like me as someone who like walks around in Batman stuff and had like a Batman shirt and Batman this and Batman whatever Robin shit. I was mocked for that for a good range, and this came out during that range where it was like, what kind of freak show are you? Yeah. Bearing a comic book shirt, and reading comic books, you must be a weirdo. Then when Batman 89 happened, and that changed since, we've never gone back. Since Batman 89, it's been cool to like superheroes. Maybe yeah. not as much as you and I do, but it's always been, it's been cool since then. So I think because yeah. it hit in a spot where it was a fringe culture, that it didn't raise to the level of consciousness because comic books were still just, even though it was selling like gangbusters and DC was making money hand over fist, I think it was just out of the public consciousness. That's my theory is the only way they got away with it. If they had done it in 1990, they wouldn't have got, they would have got busted.
1: Yeah, imagine doing it now.
0: Oh, oh yeah, no, 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 no. I mean, you would of course, could do it. Yeah. Oh, it would. There would have to be an indie comic. Ma- mainstream, they couldn't do it. I mean, yeah, there's no way.
1: No, no whatsoever, yeah. It's funny you mention actually the fact that when she's sort of at um, uh, the Wilson residence, she is always in a, a dressing gown or a, a negligee. Yeah. And, and that cigarette motif that's so prevalent, as if to show, oh, what a, what a villainous chick she is on the side, uh, stick a cigarette in her mouth to, to show the difference. I, I yeah. find that a bit a bit a bit weird a bit jarring that yeah. I mean, with a cigarette their cigarette would come out of nowhere as well I yeah think it was a bit, even at the end in the, the book the, yeah the, the fucking end when they're in they're in that machine ready to be uh, have the powers zapped and uh, she's there isn't she stood with slade and in literally one one frame one panel i should say uh, she hasn't got one and in the next panel you see her that fags in her in her mouth and it's lit yeah. So yeah. how how, how did that happen? But, it just seems that every time he wants to show her um, being a bit villainous, a, you know, a bit of skullduggery, a bit of subterfuge behind the Titan's back, she automatically has to put a lit cigarette in her mouth. It's such a, a weird motif he puts in there, you know?
0: Well, you mentioned that Hive, and I don't know if Marvin George invented Hive or if that was uh, an invention. They
1: did. They did invent it and okay. I looked it up, perhaps. So yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So I thought so too, but I wasn't 100% sure. Um, but, uh, clearly, he wanted to write a James Bond film. So that's where the cigarette, and right? it's like, everybody. Right. <laughs> you know, so that's, uh, that's just a, a good guess. But yeah, no, it is such a weird thing. And, and I almost felt like maybe he was trying to uh, trying to pretend that, because she's wearing lipstick and she's smoking, that, um, that maybe she's not really as young as she, she's pretending to be younger than she is. Like, I always thought well, maybe mm. it was his way of, of, you could then say, well, she's really 18 or 19, which is still gross, but at least yeah. it's legal. And, yeah. you know, it, maybe, but I mean, we know for a fact, no, George and Marv have said, she's 16 years old, that's true. Uh, yeah. So I don't know if that was just like cover or just like you said, it was just, it, they were really inopportune times. And you know, back then, Nobody, except for Raven, nobody had a suit that could have possibly had pockets in it. So where were her, where was she keeping that pack of cigarettes while she was? <laughs> it just
1: make it... Exactly. It's just, it's just, yeah. it's just so weird that every time it's just, it's there. It's, but, you know, I suppose it's a way of, especially back then, of showing a bit of villainy. But um, yeah, it was a bit strange, but there you go. Um, okay. Do you think actually that, that the, char- <laughs> the character of Tara and, um, To me at times, I mean, hindsight is 2020 and you know how it's going to end and you know what she's all about. But I think, at least as far as I can remember, the first time I read it, going back all those years, I always thought initially there was, she was kind of torn between a, a job and what she wanted. Whereas, you know, obviously she was there to bring them down from the inside. But at times you felt like she actually liked and enjoyed being a part of that group. And I always wondered, would she go turn on Slade and actually side with the Titans in it? Obviously, she doesn't. We know that. But I always did think maybe there was that side of her.
0: I think that if you only read these five books, then you would know that's not true. But I think you're right because if if you like me read the way she came into it, and she was part yeah. of this was a this was a slow burn. This wasn't something they just set up like she didn't just appear. Yeah. This week, you know, it, this week in Titans, Tara shows up. I mean, she had been around. So um, I think that's, that they were, they were trying to set her up. And you were supposed to feel that way. Because if you, yeah. if you spent time with the character previous to this, uh, because what, her brother's a hero. Geoforce. Yeah,
1: Geo, Geoforce, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, so
0: I think, I think that, um, that if you'd read it all along, you were definitely supposed to feel that way. If you only read this, then you wouldn't. Like, because in this, she's pretty dark the whole time.
1: Yeah. She has indeed,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we want that, of course, because we're, we're mm. reading Teen Titans because we're on Team Slade.
1: Yeah.
0: We're reading yeah. Teen Titans because we want to be Nightwing.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's why I read it because I was like, I, you know, who doesn't want to be Rob? I mean, he was Robin at the time and he becomes Nightwing in this, but, you know, that's, yeah. that's my whole thing with Titans is
1: yeah oh fair enough absolutely yeah before we actually start speaking about nightwing and that whole change yeah you did mention it uh, a little bit earlier uh and that's something else that perhaps is controversial not then but certainly now in the sort of more enlightened age we live in and that is the sort of um gar logan beast boy Ooh. changeling whatever you want to call him his uh shall we say his sort of chat up game his way <laughs> of trying to uh entice the ladies it's very blunt and to the point, we should say. I mean, in this sort of post Me Too movement age that we live in now, this stuff wouldn't fly at all. This, you know, there would there there would be some outcry if they were showing this. I mean, he's a teenage boy, but um, in every sort of every female with a pulse, in this, he's trying to practically force himself upon, isn't he? Not not in a physical all that sexual way but he's, tr- he's constantly trying to get a kiss off every girl he sees and I think at one point in the in the mansion the maid there set, makes some kind of comment doesn't she he's not he's yeah. not there but she says oh last time he changed I forget which animal she said he changed into but he was trying to you know force me into kissing him and all. He, he's pretty full-on shall we say
0: it is horrific and I forgot <laughs> um, <laughs> be honest as a kid I loved Changeling, right? I mean, he was one of my favorites. And when when um, the change, he was Beast Boy in Doom Patrol and then he was Changeling in Titans and then he's, now he's Beast Boy again in the world yeah. of, and I never liked the name Beast Boy. Um, and I don't know if people just thought Changeling was too complicated of a of a name or because they were de-aging him, he had to go back to boy. Um, yeah. But I remember loving him as like, as a, you know, and, and the action figures, you remember, um I don't know, there were, there were all kinds of DC hero action figures. And changelings couldn't do anything. Like, like uh, Vic's, you know, his hands came down and they would like a light would go through his eye. But changeling, it just like came with little animals, like little green animals. Like, cause yeah. all, the figure couldn't do anything. And I loved that thing, man. I loved changeling. And I was also a 13 year old boy and I didn't see any problem with it at the time. And I realized that's horrific. Um, so I wonder if that's why I didn't think anything was wrong with it at the time, because I yeah. thought his power was cool and I didn't get it, but it is really hard to read. When I went back and reread crisis before I, in, we were both on a Chris and Dave show firestorm also written by Marv Wolfman, is like the same way about, killing yeah. us, and it's like really gross. So I don't know if it's that Marv Wolfman thought that's how teenage boys would react to girls or if he just thought it was okay. Um, it is, I, I believe you said he is a sex pest. I believe that is true. Uh,
1: yeah. I, I, I think he is. He, I mean, I mean, I, I don't think he's got sort of, Um, he's not a sinister character, is he? He's a, no. He's a, good per- he's a good person. He's a young boy. He's a boy. hero. Yeah. He's, he's a hero. He's fun-loving. He's this, he's that. He's, he's not got a bad crooked bone in his body, let's be honest. But it's just, I don't know whether it was The Times, but when you read it now, I mean, he doesn't take no for an answer, does he? He's, you know, he's he, I mean, maybe it's because he does it under the guise of a cute little animal or something like that. He doesn't tend to do it so much when he's in his um, human form. He tends to be like a, a little squirrel or a little uh, bird that's or something a really like that. Good,
0: that's a really good point. That he, yeah,
1: so yeah. That's a way of getting away with it because, you know, if we have cats or dogs in the, in the house, you know, you have them all over you, don't you? Climbing all over you. Cuddling them like babies and things like that. So, I don't know if that makes it slightly more acceptable, maybe the depiction of it, but I, I don't know. Tw- 35 years on, um, it's a bit much, isn't it, I would say.
0: Yeah, it's, it's too bad too, because I, to- I did totally forget. And um, much like I forgot all of the way that they talk to each other, the, yeah. they're constantly yammering at each other. Like, hey, Rust Bucket, hey, Salad Head. I forgot that too. Yeah. I must have loved it. Obviously everybody loved it, because again, it was the number one selling comic in the world. But boy, that's
1: annoying after a while too. It is, yeah. It's quite interesting actually because I mean, at this point, Wolfman was, I think he was 39, 40 in 1994. Was he really? Yeah, he was probably 45. So he, yeah, he would have been 39 at this point. So he wasn't a young man as such. He wasn't old, but he wasn't young. Um, so he's obviously writing as a, a teenage, from a teenage boy's perspective, despite being sort of, 25 years older than that at this point and I don't know, I think he does a half decent job at trying to find that teenage voice and I suppose when you are that age and you're hanging out with your your pals and things you do kind of call each other names in jest don't you and take the piss out of each other so I don't know, sure. maybe, maybe he's got it quite good there I think
0: Yeah and I think, and it's not that, that they do it I don't find a problem that they do it but that they do it so often
1: Yeah, it's it is quite incessant isn't every it
0: Every panel, yeah no no I think it's I actually love that the way, because again, this is part of what you mentioned with Tara, the way she and Vic interact in a very like big brother little like Vic really thinks of Tara as his little sister. And I mean, Vic Stone is one of the great heroes in the DC universe. And um, it's, that's, there's a reason he's transcended from Titans to Justice League because yeah. he is honestly, truly like, if, if they were real, like who would you say who's the best man? In the DC universe, like who would you want your kids to emulate? It would be Vic stuff yeah. And, yeah, probably would. Yeah, and you see it here um, in full force. And so, like the way when when Tara calls him like Rust Bucket, and he's like whatever, Rock, you know, and like I get that kind of teasing, and I liked it fine. I think you're right, but I think it was just because it was every time, and maybe it's because <laughs> so many of them. There's so many yeah. characters that they're all doing it constantly. It just was like it wore on me a little, and 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 um i but again it showed their affection so that's why it's easy for you to think like oh no tara's gonna Vic loves her Vic, Vic cares yeah. about her um not he's not in love with her but that's like don't mess with my little sister is how i feel he treats her and um yeah. you know not, if anyone was going to turn her to the good it was going to be Vic.
1: yeah
0: yeah absolutely yeah he's,
1: he's he's probably one of the most sort of morally absolute characters isn't he he's not yeah, he doesn't. You know, he doesn't. Everyone's, everyone tends to have a dark side or a vice or something like that. But he tends to be pretty, pretty dis- true, isn't he? Moral center, I think.
0: Yeah, I think that's why they can never get a cyborg comic to last a long time because <laughs> yeah, there's not you're, no one would believe a morally corrupt Vic Stone. Like the only way you could yeah. actually corrupt cyborg is if you corrupted his circuits and like forced it on him. Yeah, um, you know he's I. He's such a great character, and, um, you know, it was always disappointing to me when he made The Leap, because I think Titans are worse off without him. But it also, they're kids, and they need to be morally flexible and make dumb, bad decisions. And if Vic's there, you're never, like, how are you going to make a bad decision when you like, oh, don't piss off Old Man Stone. Um, I don't know. I I love him as a character because I think he's, like, just such a great role model, and I think that comes through here.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with you on that totally. It's a really good point. Um, okay, so one of the, I suppose, the other massively huge undertaking in this book is Dick Grayson uh, giving up the Robin persona and becoming Nightwing. Um, aside from the sort of disco costume he wears... And <laughs> disco Nightwing! I mean, like, yeah. He oh, I, I, I wore that for I, years. I, I, yeah, I hate that costume. I think oh, his costume. His costume now is badass. But yeah. the one he had back then, I think, was fucking awful. I think it's terrible. Um, but aside from that, um, <laughs>
0: obviously, <laughs> all he um, needed, like was a gold chain coming down the big V and the front. yeah. It's almost like David has like modern day David Hasselhoff like models you know models his wardrobe after Disco Nightwing. It's like so
1: <laughs> it is It is pretty much a, f- a frightful um, ensemble he's put on to himself. Um, now I know, obviously. Again, we know how the sort of the night turned out. He's a, a great character, one of the most popular characters in comics, and everyone's you know so precious about it. And how the, the recent Dick Grayson to Rick Grayson thing don't care for that. I don't care for that. But it looks as though he's going back the other way now. Oh, thank and, God. And I know it appears. So that's <laughs> that's good news for everyone concerned. Um, but at the time, um, I mean. Comic book fans quite often are resistant to change and you know, they like the characters how they like the characters, they're quite precious about it, and you know, you see it all the time when in, in the film and TV world when they cast somebody that they don't like, or the costuming is not to their specification, people leap all over it. So obviously, yeah, like I said, Nightwing's a great character, but at the time to see someone move away from robin and now this isn't someone moving away from buana beast or some low tier character robin is robin is a list isn't he so i can't imagine what that would have been like actually at the time to see one of the greatest and long stand, most long-standing characters as well let's not forget he'd been there since 1940 or whatever to suddenly step away from that i mean at the time as well we wouldn't necessarily know that he was going to be replaced by Jason Todd that was to come wasn't it It wasn't Suddenly, yeah. he went well I'm taking off this costume now but there's a lad called Jason who's going to put it on and everything. everything's, everything's be fine okay. yeah you're gonna Ever. you're gonna have your Robin guy so at the time people would have thought shit that's Robin done that's that's the end of Robin I mean what was your th- thoughts at that time as a, as a young comic book reader and you know you seeing lit- a literal major character take his costume off put it down and say I am done and even at that point, you didn't know until you get to the end of this run that Nightwing is to come. You don't know what he's going to do. So what was that like at the time? Was that was, a big thing?
0: It was because Robin's always been my favorite character. Yeah, always. I mean, Tim Drake is my favorite Robin still to this day. But, um, uh, you know, Dick was my first Robin, obviously. And, uh, yeah. and I, as we talked about before, I voted to save Jason. And uh, it, yeah. the director's so important to me. And even Damien, who's an asshole, I, you know, I'm glad he's there. I'm glad yeah. he's an asshole. I like what Damien brings, but it's like, fuck that kid. Um, but I, but you need him, right? You need yeah. him to be, and that's just it. I'm just an old grumpy old man now. That's why I'm sure Dame, people love Damien the way that I love Tim Drake, you know, cause I was, I was in college, like I was end of high school and college when Tim Drake happened. So it was like, yeah, that's, you know, I'm that guy. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's lots of kids who see themselves in Damien Wayne now, but, um, so it was really disheartening, because I didn't know what it meant for Bruce. Yeah. I didn't know what it meant for the Batman titles. I didn't know what it meant for Titans. I mean, he turns it over to Donna, which was also super cool. Think about that in 1984. I mean, that's the thing about Marv Wolfman. He's clearly not, like, he's not, a, you know, a sexist or anything. You could argue the way that Corey is drawn, yes. But, um, you know, because he gives the Titans to Donna Troy, which is so, yeah. super cool. Like that, you know, like, oh, we're going to have a female led superhero team and it's short lived to be fair. But, you know, at the same time, as you mentioned, X-Men, you know, there was the whole battle is storm going to lead them or Scott going to lead them. And I was always on team storm, you know? And, um, and so there was, there was a lot of cool happening there and it was, it was tumultuous, but I definitely was nervous about there not being a Robin. And, um, because that was my favorite character. So what did it mean? And so there's like, you know, there's like four months of your life where you're just like, you know, you don't know what's going on. And, you know, there was no internet. There was no way to know what was happening. Exactly. You had you and your friends just doing it. So it was really um, well done. And, um, but it was, it was disheartening now. I mean, if you think about it now, the only thing I can really compare it to in, in modern times, like the death of Superman, maybe. Right? Yeah. Like, just when they killed off the big guy. Well, how long was he dead? Was it less than a year?
1: Oh, yeah. It was only a few months, wasn't it?
0: Yeah. So, But during that time, there was no internet then either. And Superboy comes out and Steel comes out. And I like Steel, actually. That was my favorite Death of Superman comic, which that movie is fucking awful.
1: But Oh, Sha- Shaquille O'Neal, yeah?
0: yeah? Yeah.
1: Did you see it? I've never seen it, and I don't think I ever will, <laughs> <You should. laughs> to be I mean, honest.
0: T- yeah. But I loved... Um, you know, so it was just, it was a, I think that's the only comparison that I could make maybe is, well, the fuck, there's no Superman, yeah. you know, it's like, what the fuck, there's no Robin, and like you said, it was, he's an A-lister, so it was, it was disheartening, but it also made you get to, get to the store on that day, the next month, right, because you had to find out.
1: Yeah, absolutely, yeah. It was genius, I mean,
0: it was genius marketing, for sure. How did you feel when Superman died, or did you always think even at that time, you're like, he'll be back?
1: yeah because i always think whenever anyone dies in comic books it's never forever because (laughs) they've done because it's it's just been done so much and virtually everyone has died at one point and then they come back either via a re a total reboot of the line like a continuity reboot or a crisis event or they just happen to come back from the dead for whatever reason or they weren't dead to begin with there's always a backdoor way in isn't there and
0: yeah
1: I think we've discussed it on a previous show we did
0: deaths
1: deaths I think it was the the under the red hood one deaths of characters to me now don't carry much weight because I always think they'll be back they'll be back and and 99 times out of 100 they are back Um, right so it just doesn't I don't know maybe I'm just too cynical but I just think whenever I see or hear a character being killed off I just think oh fine but they'll be back I mean, do you, yeah. do, do you still get that sense of oh my I god, do. someone's dead? Or
0: I, no, I no. And, but see, this—the reason I brought it up is because this was the first time where that happened to me, where Robin wasn't dead, but he, but because Dick Grayson's still alive. But I had no idea there could be a universe without Robin. And then of yeah. course they bring in Disco Nightwing, and Jason Todd comes in shortly thereafter. So yeah. that was the first time I realized like what was happening. And then they kill off Jason, and granted, he stayed dead for a while, but Tim Drake. Only place of dying happens right after death in the family. It's not that yeah. long. you know. Then Tim shows up. So again, it's so you kind of learn. So yeah, no, I don't get fooled anymore into thinking. Alf, like I said, we talked about before. I think Alfred's going to come back as a. Oh yeah, you don't, not That Tim Drake built. Yeah, yeah, but but uh, you know it's but you're right. In this moment, there was none. There was no way to know, and it was the first time that had ever really truly happened. Um, and it was it was pretty startling uh, to see that happen. And like, they even, it's almost, cause Tara even like says like woo! And she like makes a joke about him doing strip tease as he's <laughs> taking off his stuff. And it was, yeah. it, was um, it was really startling to see. Like he's not Robin anymore, what the hell? It's crazy. Uh, but obviously um, because they were smart and made us wait three issues uh, to give yeah. Disco Nightwing, um yeah. tension was ratcheted up and then it didn't matter how bad the costume was we were just so excited
1: yeah exactly yeah i mean as
0: well they don't sort of they keep him
1: very much front and center of the action while he's just a civilian if you will because there's that great scene where deathstroke barges into his oh, uh, his, his apartment or his awesome. office whatever it is and he you know they end up taking it on to the through the park and what have you that's a you know it's although he wasn't in the costume, at least you still had your grace and fix and got to see him being a badass and showing what a great uh, fighter, martial artist he was. So they they still kept him very much in there, didn't they?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That is very true.
1: Yeah, Yeah, it is, yeah. Um, One thing I wanted to talk about then, and I know, obviously, you've mentioned this to me, actually, is Marth Wolfman's writing style um, (laughs) throughout this book is... You certainly aren't left... He doesn't leave anything to the imagination in terms of what characters are thinking, does he? Uh, there is thought bubbles galore in this, especially during fights as well. You know, rather than a fight playing out as a fight, there will literally be mid-blow and there'll be a massive sort of two or three thought bubble sort of thought process of a character talking about what, they, what they're thinking, what they're feeling during a fight. Um, I'm not a massive fan of that really i i prefer to sort of see it as it is and get to just see how they talk rather than that constant interior monologue what's your take on it do you like that or do you prefer a lesser approach to it
0: i I think this is a minimalist approach is better and again who are we to say he's a he's a legend but of course um, yeah yeah but yeah it, it again it's one of those things just like gar's issues um I didn't catch it as a kid, I didn't notice, it didn't bug me then. Uh, and maybe it wouldn't bug people now, but it definitely, um, it, took me, it took me out of it. Uh, yeah. Because I, it's, we're, it's a visual medium. And I love books, I'm constantly reading books. I'm actually, this is the coolest thing, is that we're talking about the words in books. I'm actually designing a course called Comic Books or Graphic Novels as Literature. Like I'm, oh, right. that's a course I get to teach, which is just stupid. Uh, that, I, that I get to do that. I'm so excited. But my, my point will be that it, like literature, yes, it's words and we think about it, but sometimes there's great visual storytelling. It's not like, I mean, you've got George Perez over there. It's not like me. You don't have a crappy artist. Like leave him be, man. He knows what he's doing. And so yeah. I feel like, because George Perez, man, he left nothing to the imagination. He, he filled up every page. There's layers and so um, he actually said he invented Jericho to stop Marv from getting to do the thought bubbles.
1: Ah, okay.
0: Yeah, like, so it even wore on him, like Jericho being mute, yeah. told Marv, no, no thought bubbles. You have to draw, you have to let me tell everybody how Jericho is feeling. So that was intentional. Um, so that, even his, his best working partner was annoyed by it. So I, I find it problematic. <laughs> Um, But again, it's 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 funny that those best two selling books we talked about it before, Claremont and Wolfman, He's the two best writers of the '80s, and boy, they had a lot to say.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's of its time though, isn't it? I think eight, '80s uh, comic books, especially sort of DC books from that time, they had a lot of that in them, didn't they? Yeah, you're it wasn't, right. They did. It, it, it was yeah. it wasn't unique to this creative team to have that kind of thing going on. There was a lot of that kind of characters thinking and. Thinking out loud for the for the reader's purpose (laughs) at least. Yeah, that's you don't really see it now at all. Actually, do you think it's that?
0: Do you think it's that they know that we've all grown up because those were written for teen for kids, and now they know there's more adults probably than kids reading comics. Yeah, trust
1: us. Yeah, I think so. I think it's a reflection of the audience because I think you've you're not having to spoon feed the audience. You're not having to give them every bit of information you're just putting it out there and they can, they can see what's going on. They can see from a, a character's body language, a character's actions, what the character says and does what they're thinking. You don't need a character to have a, you know, on a one page, have six panels of thought because yeah, you don't have to spell it out is, is what I'm saying. And I think that's exactly true. What you're saying is it's not aimed at um, a young audience. Is it? It's aimed at a, An adult audience an intelligence audience. So I don't think there's that need to spell it out as much. I think it was just something of its time. And like I said, if you pick up a DC comic now, whichever, any title you care to mention, you'll find little to none of that kind of thing now, will you?
0: It's funny, I just finished uh, Hartley 73. And there is, and that was one of my big problems with it is, and I, I think Sam Humphries is a really good writer. Um, But it was exposition heavy, like way more Harley Quinn book. And I know she's a doctor and she thinks a lot, but this was like really heavy on like out, like other person's thought bubbles. And it was like, wait, there was a whole page literally of that. Like just, and again, I like words, give me words, but you're also in a visual medium. So you have to allow the artist to do the work. And it just seemed like they, maybe they rushed to get through this storyline. So they were like, Cutting it off. I don't know if it was because of the pandemic. They tried to cram two issues into one, but it was really yeah. noticeable because, again, the Nightwing seventy one that was also out this month, this week. There's Joker's in there, and there's a lot of story that happens in that, but it's it's also very sparse. Yeah, yeah, oh, it
1: is. Yeah, yeah. I
0: prefer I prefer where
1: it's at now to where it was. Back For then, sure. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. That's totally true. Um, yeah, I think just I don't. It's it, it, like you said. I think you're absolutely right, Max. It's a product of its time.
1: Yeah, I think so, along with uh, some of the other things we've already discussed. I think it's just uh, indicative of how things were back yeah. then, I would say. Yeah. Um, uh, speaking of the art, obviously, George Perez, I think him and Marv Wolfman are intrinsically sort of linked forever, aren't they, with the stuff they've done? I mean, uh, the, uh, earlier today I was having a quick look at the list of characters that they've created, and it literally l- reads like a who's who of comic book characters across Marvel as well as DC. I mean, it is just phenomenal. The list when you look at it Uh, and stuff they've actually created apart from each other as well, not together, but at least one of them's had a hand in as well. It is literally a a list of just top character after top character. Uh, uh, I mean, I know people can point to, to Stan Lee and people like that and people he worked with is Steve Ditko, uh, Jack Kirby and the, the wonderful array of characters that, that they created back in the 60s. But I think going after that, I don't think any... Well, I mean, it's all opinion. You, you say who you think, or correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there's been another creative pair that have created so many huge characters in, in isolation since those days, I wouldn't think. It's quite phenomenal.
0: Yeah, no, I, would, I mean, depending on however people want to take this. I, like, to me... Um, like if, if Ditko and Lee are, you know, Lennon and McCartney, then these guys are Jagger and Richards, you know, it's like, yeah. that kind of, of, um, of pairing of skill and of inventiveness. And yeah. no, I agree. I, um, I think they, they they were fearless. They also had the support of DC, you know, they could, they could get away with anything and they were willing to do they, like what they do to Tara here. They don't care. Um, yeah. they were like, we're going to get rid of Nightwing. We're kicking Kid Flash out of the comic. We're going to, whatever. And, and the, the the trust they had. And then shortly after Crisis, they gave George by himself, um, the Wonder Woman reboot. Like, yeah. you know, right? And that was really good stuff. Um, you know, cause he could write too, obviously. Uh, and he didn't normally, you always, you always think of, of him as the artist, but, but that Wonder Woman post-Crisis Wonder Woman stuff was really good. Um. And, you know, you're, they're giving him one of the trinities. So that shows the trust that they have in him. You're coming from the kids comic and you get to destroy the universe. and Now you have to rebuild it. Yeah. You know, we'll
1: get- oh, exa- yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I mean, to, like you said, to give them the crisis on Infinite Earth shows that they were the sort of golden pair at the time. You know, we want to <laughs> condense everything into one universe and then set a pathway to move forward. Who would you give it to? You give it to these two guys. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's like you said, it's just phenomenal, isn't it? What yeah, they've, they've managed to achieve.
0: And what I like about George's art style is that it's like we talked about, it's packed. It is like a yeah. dual representation of Marv's writing style. But yeah. it also works in, con- in contrast with it because if you, you could look at a George Perez book and you don't need a ton of words because he's given you everything. He's not, there's, he's not leaving anything on the table. He is showing you emotions. I mean, again, he invents Jericho. It's his first character that he invented on his own, for DC. Yeah. Um, and he creates a mute person who then exchanges bodies. And so he's, not only is he, that what a cool idea, although it's weird that his name is Joe, he goes by Jericho in superhero form, but he doesn't wear a mask, so it's like, yeah. that was silly. But what was cool is he also trusted Marv enough then, that when Jericho goes into someone else's body, now Marv has to decide, how Jericho talks in someone else's body. Yeah. You know, and so, yeah, he really, his, the way that he drew forms, like his, his characters looked, you know, they're all ripped like Jesus, like they all are, right? You know I mean? There's this whole thing of, of superheroes being, you know, everybody's ready for the fight club on purpose. So he really mastered that form. It's not like the, the Jim Apero kind of like long and lean, remember? Yeah. Him? Um, his, you know, these, they look ready for a fight. Um, but they don't look like Arnie. You know, they don't look... They look like they could be real. Like you could run into someone who looks like Nightwing.
1: Yeah, exactly. They look like they're at the sort of peak of human condition without transitioning into being a
0: Superman, so to speak. Yeah, like they're mean. not grotesque in any way.
1: Yeah. No, no. Yeah. It's really no, good. It Absolutely, it is. I mean, if, when you read about the two of them and how close they worked together i think i read that they lived literally five blocks away from each other at this time <laughs> so they stressed. would they they would literally be able to work together whenever they chose and like you were saying just before about perez is more, more often thought of as purely the artist because that's what he's mostly known for but he was a writer too I, I read that in their sort of collaborative partnership they actually would work out plot together it wouldn't be a case of i write i'll give you the script you go and visualize it and put it on the page. They actually, it was a true collaboration. It was a real, the two of them working in, in tandem. It's quite something really, when you think about it.
0: Yeah, I think that, I think that they are, um, they're really just spectacular. Um, you know, we haven't mentioned the one member, we haven't mentioned the uh, Corey, Starfire. Oh. Still, still to this day, um, the Starfire, comics the the image of starfire is is a bit absurd um i'll and um i was talking to kelly Gaines. she's going to be on my show in a couple weeks and we talked about how um her her mom saw a starfire comic when she was young and she was like she saw titans and she was like you're not reading that because it was like (laughs) smut so you know what do you what do you think i mean when did you How old were you when you first, like, saw your Starfire? And what do you think, now as an adult man, of the way that she is handled? And even in the Red Hood and the Outlaws, when she was in that, in the New 52, she was still, I mean, she's a star princess. She is a badass princess warrior. She is so overly sexualized. George are just as guilty. Um, What do you think of that in general? And what do you think of, like, the... Uh, the way she's depicted in the show
1: I think the show does the TV are we talking about the TV show the live action TV show I think that does a a better version because I think on the comic book page pretty much her entire since she came into existence she's been sort of made to look like a yellow skinned Pamela Anderson in Baywatch yeah that's right kind of thing I mean she's always wearing next to nothing very little left to the imagination and uh, you know she's sort of got most things on display and whilst that's fine for the sort of teenage boy crowd which you and I both were and you know you like to enjoy things when you're that age I think in this day and age it doesn't really play so well and what I like about the way they've portrayed her in the in the television show is they haven't gone down that road right I mean you know they've Cast a, a woman of color as well, which is a good to see. I mean, obviously, you don't think there's many um, orange skinned actresses out there. I anyway. haven't I seen any, I've, yeah. No, they're pretty hard to come by, I imagine, at, uh, yeah. at, at, at talent agencies. um But they've not gone down that route with her, have they? They've not no. made her walk, walk around in what is essentially a swimsuit or something like that. They've they've avoided that pitfall because I, you can't do that now
0: really, you know, it,
1: like I said, it, this isn't Baywatch, this isn't, you know, Benny Hill sketch.
0: Right. from the 1980s. oh, Benny Hill, that's that's what it is, isn't it? I get that yeah. perfect description of what it is. Cause she's such a strong, uh, her empathy is off the charts. She's yeah. a really great character. And I think all three female characters in the Titans, you know, Tara notwithstanding are excellent. I mean, like I said, yeah. You know Raven is is an emo and she but she's full of love and she's fighting against her nature and Doc's yeah. a great leader and she's super strong and can lead the team and you know Corey is a warrior princess and don't piss her off because she'll blow shit up you know there's <laughs> something great about them um, but it's that was always a thing you know as you become more aware of her you're like oh and I shared that picture with you of the toy there's a toy of of Corey. Um, where they yes. take long hair and they like have it coming up between the legs of the toy and you're like what yeah. is wrong with you people that's like a new toy that's new They're, that's still there so it's bizarre um, but I agree I think what they did with the show is great I think that actress is really good um, mm. and you know that's the thing it's not like you're taking away um, if you see her you could be like ooh that's a super attractive woman but it's not like she's um, it's not so over the top that it's just like she's only there to be a piece of meat. She's also, well, yeah. the first thing we see in the show is she's like killing people, you know? So she's, she's, pretty, she's pretty tough too. Um, and so I feel like that was the mixed message reading this again is how strong and powerful Corey is mixed with that flying swimsuit. I just don't get it yeah
1: yeah I, agree. I completely agree uh, it's funny you should mention the tv show actually because i just want yeah. to quickly before we get to our uh, sort of end thoughts on the book and our scores out of five um like you said this has been adapted outside of the comic book page they did the animated film in 2017 of the judas contract and as you've already mentioned they loosely adapted this for the second season of the titan's yeah. live action yeah. tv show but they obviously they made some changes to fit their lineup, so they substituted terror doesn't exist on the TV show so they, so they used Rose Wilson Slade's actual daughter, they changed it into fact that she actually did sort of see the light as it were and realised what she was doing wrong and sided against her father for the end and actually was the one who with Nightwing's aid killed a father although i don't believe he's dead it's, we'll see it we'll, we'll, see, yeah. we'll see him again i think actually there was apparently a scene shot that they decided not to go with That was going to be like a, a credit scene or something of him in a hospital bed barely alive oh. because he can't that wouldn't have killed him anyway would it he has this no, you're not healing. gonna kill
0: sleep yeah that's exactly
1: he has the healing regenerative regenerative is that the right pronunciation power tag <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Oh, man, it's, uh, I, I can't speak. Um, so, yeah, he, he would never would have died, but that's a side note. So they changed that. Obviously, there's no Cyborg um, in the Titans TV show. He's in, Doom he's, in, Patrol. he's in Doom Patrol, right? He's in Doom Patrol, of course. Um, so that's different. And you have Hawk and Dove in the TV show as well. So there's lots of little different things. But I thought they did quite a good job with it, actually. You know, despite having to change a lot of things to fit in with the show, I quite liked it. I thought the... His reason, Slade's reason for wanting to go out the Titans, they changed that, didn't they? They didn't make it, so he was trying to fulfil his son, Grant's contract, because Grant's not, not depicted in yeah. the TV show. He's there because he's trying to avenge the death, in inverted commas, of Jericho. Correct. He holds them responsible for his death, but then obviously we learn that he's sort of survived in... A, a different form did you like the the tv show version of it did you think it was kind of selling it a bit short uh some people seem to absolutely I'm, i love titans i'm one of them but some people love to shit all over it and say it's not good but i think it's a great show i mean did you like specifically that sort of season of it
0: i did i actually thought it was better than the animated version and in general i like mm. animated shows um you know in the animated version blue beetles in it and. Um, you know, there's it's Red Nightwing and Damien's in it. So there's some, you know, hmm. obviously Vic's not in that either. So they made some, they made some changes there. Um, I actually thought the TV version of it, um, I liked it better because Slade's motivation was the same. It's, yeah. a, it's revenge. And you don't want to take a trained killer and then make him have revenge, right? So that's gonna. And, and I think when your motivation is revenge, then it's he's so relentless, and you, you know, in the show he kills off Aqualad. I mean, it's yeah. brutal. I mean, there's a body count, and um, I really like it. I like it a lot. Um, I think it was really smart. And the kid who played Jericho was pretty good. I like yeah. that actor. I thought he was really. I thought that was a good choice. He actually is nonverbal. The actor. So that was yes. So that was really amazing. That was really good. Um, no, I, I thought I'm with you. I'm, on, I'm a Titans fan all the way, and I heard Babs is going to be in season three, so what else? Keep taking my money. DC University, you kidding? Um, no, I thought it was good. I think that I can't think of the actor's name right now who played Slade was great.
1: Oh, S.A. or S.I. Morales, I think he's oh, called it. It was fantastic. I loved
0: him. I thought he captured, I think he read this. Judah's contract was like, all right, I'm going to channel this misery and this hate and this, the, the love, hate relationship with the mom. Um, it was all on full display there. And I just thought Mm -hmm. it was really fantastic. And so while you said it's a loose adaptation, I think it was really spot on. And because there was death, because of course the end of this Tara dies and, people die in that there's real consequences, whether I'm with you, I don't think Slade's gonna die, but there's a real body count. And I think that's what yeah. the Titans TV show is gritty. Like, I mean, this was 1984. And like you said, it's conservative, it's, it's Thatcher and Reagan are in charge of the world. And um, here you have this comic book that's dark and gritty and teenagers are being killed. Um, so I think the show, people who shit on the show didn't read Titans in the eighties. Yeah. I think that's what it is huh. but Like you know.
1: I think so. I, I, I don't quite get why people are not on board with it. I think it's a really well-executed show. The characters are great. I like the adult tone. It's not like a CW show. It's really it's good stuff. I think, I, th- I think, like you said, I think the more of a fan you are of the source material, the more you'll get out of the TV show. I think you've hit yeah. the nail on the head there, Tony, for sure there's so much in it, there's so much sort of little bits, there's a tr- treasure trove of Easter eggs throughout that show, you can tell it's written by people who know their stuff, you know, they're, they're not sort of got some hired Hollywood gunfire to, to just put it together, they've really gone into the, the, the lore of the DC world, I think it's a really well done show, I can't wait for season three, I just wish it wasn't delayed, but yeah, it is, what it, is. it is what it is with the world we're living in right now. But I, I, I don't quite get why people don't like it. I don't see what the problem is, to be honest with you.
0: Well, I think if people listen to us talk about this and they go read the Judas Contract and then they go yeah. watch these Titans, I think they'll get it a little bit better, the, the tightness of the Titans and the way that it's a family show. Um, yeah. The Titans has always been a family comic. It's a dysfunctional family, but it's a family. And yeah. they, um, you know, they have, again... No Vic Stone, so they're really missing a moral compass. Donna is kind of the moral compass a little bit on this version of it. Like, yeah. and Corey, this version of Corey plays a little bit of that. It's, that's the one thing that I think this group of Titans is missing and I think though going forward, Dick will be back to being kind of the moral compass. Make, you know. Because everybody's got their problems, you know, on the show. Uh, yeah. But I really like it, and I think, yeah, if you read Judas Contract and then you go watch See the Titans, you'd be like, oh, I get, I get what it is. Because that was the thing. The reason I sent you the thing. I'm like, man, I've been thinking about reading Judas Contract again. Is because I just, I've been missing Titans, and I've been reading up on it. And I thought maybe I'll rewatch it, but I still haven't even finished Swamp Thing, you know. So I'm like, I can, I gotta, you gotta choose your, choose your time. Watching yeah. It. yeah. Reading this and talking to you about it. Um. Well, that was good time. That was time wisely spent, in my opinion. I think it's a, it's a book worth reading, right? It's, I mean, your, your introduction to what this show is supposed to be, I think Judas contract fits the bill of the of story that, um, and you said, and I didn't think about that, like the, the, the aftershocks of the DC universe for yeah. years to come from this five issue stories
1: exactly exactly it's it's one of the most significant and important books or story art whatever you want to call it that i think there's been in the modern era i really do i think it's it's importance and significance can't be overestimated i think it's just one of the the most seminal pieces of work there is i really do yeah uh, and on that and on that note um we'll um transition to uh rather like Dick Grayson transitioning to Nightwing, sure. we, shall trans- we shall transition to our end scores. Yeah. Um, as always, I, I always let my guests have the last word. So in terms of my thoughts on it, uh, I, out of five, I have to give it five. I just think it has to have full marks for all the amount of milestone moments in it. Wolfman and Perez, I think, were at the absolute height of their powers at this point in time. And it's an incredibly engrossing story. They've got as we've said, some of the writing style has aged and some of the depictions and certain narrative choices don't age well, but I think it's a representation of its time, as we've discussed and its peak eighties comic book writing, in my opinion, at least I think due to the, despite, or I should say the abundance uh, of characters that are in it, it doesn't feel overcrowded. uh, And the fact that, as we've said, it keeps getting revisited with TV adaptations and animated adaptations and We haven't even mentioned the dark multiverse adaptation. It just shows Which I hadn't read
0: until you encouraged me to do so. I'm glad you did. Wow, damn. That is
1: that is great. As a one-shot comic, I recommend that to anyone. Without spoiling it, it literally just shows how one sort of slight moment can send the whole events of the Judas Contract off in a completely different path. And if you thought the Judas Contract was a dark book, you should read the Dark Multiverse version of the Judas Contract uh that and you talk about body counts if you want to see a body count read that oh my Woo. lord yeah. yes um i mean yeah so this is a hugely significant moment in time uh it's controversial it's action packed it carries genuine emotion i think as well so i'm all in for it so i have to give it full marks so how about yourself sir
0: i agree with everything you say there this is a five out of five it is not it, this is the thing it isn't a perfect book, but it's a five out of five, which I know those yeah. things, they seem counterintuitive. It is near perfect. At the time, in 1984, this was the perfect comic book. It was, it, it, yeah. and I, it again, like I said, Slade being the, the kind of boomer against the Xers. So like the Titans are Xers, they're, they're us, they're Gen Xers. So Slade's a boomer and like, we're fighting them. Like the Justice League are like the okay boomers and we, the Gen Xers, want our space and, that is what this book is and that is why it's, it's, again, transcended because no matter when you redo it, if in 50 years or 20 years, there's another live action adaptation of it, the story is always worth revisiting because the younger upstart kids have merit and they, they need space and they need to have agency. And you know they're, they're literally on an island in the middle of a river. Like they're separated from everything and it's like yeah. everybody knows they're there. There's a big T in the middle of, of the harbor. In New York. So, <laughs> yeah. um, I just love that that what it represents, and like you said, George Perez, Aces, um, the, the what Wolfman does storytelling wise. Again, a little wordy, but yeah, it's got to be a five, and it's it's one of the, it's it's we talked about before. God loves Man kills is like my, you know maybe my is my favorite ex, uh, Marvel story. I I would I don't know if there's a Non-Vertigo story in DC that I like more than this, that is more important to me. There's probably some that are better. Let me say, like, there's better DC titles that, yeah, like that are for lots of reasons that we are discussed with the problems here. But I say yeah. probably my favorite, and revisiting now as an adult man with all of its problems, I still like. God damn, this is such a great book. Um, it is very important to me. It changed the way I saw comics. Um, I, you know, and I, I lean towards the darker stuff. I read indie comics, I like Vertigo. And I think this opened that door for me. In a mainstream comic, it showed me that you can tell a story in a way that, um, that for kids too, you, can, you don't have to sugarcoat it. Terrence's gonna die, villainy dies. And sometimes you don't have to have a reason. I think, you know, with, with Harley Quinn, they, they've really gone out of the way to make sure we know why Harley, is mentally unwell and that she's been gaslighted and manipulated and everything. Tara's evil. She just was born broken and there's no explanation for it. And I think what they ask you to grapple with is sometimes there's just bad shit in the world and there's no good reason for it. And I think that was really fascinating uh, too. So it's it's layered and it's, it's worth everybody's time. It's definitely not a light read. I think you said it was, almost impenetrable I think you said <laughs> it's so yeah
1: good. yeah that's
0: right but true. it's
1: so good yeah so I give it a five excellent excellent well that's kind of sums up how good this book is in fact we both give it five out of five and I think it's richly deserved now I would strongly recommend if anyone's thinking of uh, investing in it or acquiring a copy go do it I don't think you'll regret this one if you want to expand your horizons and know a bit more about the past of the dc universe and what shaped certain things then pick this one up i think you'll uh, you'll be glad you did for sure. uh, and i yeah sure and i'm very glad that uh, you've uh, been on again tony and given up your time and your expertise and your insight i'm very very grateful to you as always um it's been an absolute pleasure and a privilege to have you on and to uh, discuss what a great title and i thank you so much a for coming on and b for picking such a great selection because it's been a treat for me to revisit it this week as well. So I thank you for that, sir. Um, so if you would like to let all our listeners know about where they can find you, which uh, is a, a multitude of ways and what you've got yes. to, in the pipeline, the floor is yours, sir.
0: Thank you. So I'm on Twitter at tricycleboombox. Um, I have a website, arformino.com where you can check out any of the other things I've published, uh, links to the podcast, a short story I've published, other things I'm working on there. Um, I, I'm now at, I'm at DC Comics News, and I am as part of, uh, so we're, and you're at Dark Knight News, our sister site, and then we're both nice. at Fantastic Universes with our good friend, Al Stevo. And, yeah. um, coming up, so this Friday, or I don't know when this will come out, but, um, uh, someone you just had on, um, Matt from Jasper Reviews, he's coming on, we're gonna talk, Walking Dead is coming <sighs> on the show. Ooh. I know, pretty exciting. Um, and then I've got some, uh, Kelly Gaines from DC Comics News is on to talk yep. Harrow County. And then on the 26th of, this is a big, I'm super excited, I was really honored. On the 26th of June, um, the artist from Boom Studios, um, Angel and Spike comic Gleb is on, uh, all the way from Belarus. And we talked about um, his work on Angel working with the great, who also wrote some Titans episodes, Brian Edward Hill, who is of first um, on the pantheon of current comic writer so those are the things i've got coming up and um i've got a cool full things in the pipeline hopefully back so come back on this summer um i've got a full slate of things i'm actually the big exciting thing is uh, i'm actually a friend of mine has a 13 year old son and he's gonna be my guest to talk paper girls
1: oh wow that should be good
0: thought, what a cool idea to ask a kid about a book about kids so um It'll be interesting to see how that goes, but I'm I'm excited to get a child's perspective because I love paper Girls, but I have no idea what it looks like from a kid's perspective because I've only, obviously it's only been out as an adult. So that's coming up. That'll be out this summer too.
1: Yeah. Oh, I can't wait. That's going to be great. I'd, I'd love to hear that one. Um, just to see what someone of that age makes of it and how they articulate that. That should be a lot of fun. I really look forward to that. Yeah, that should be I, I,
0: that'll be fun.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Um for anyone who wants to say hello, you can find me on Twitter at Maxi Byrne, which is M A X Y b-y-r-n-e on there on my twitter page is links to the various web- websites i write reviews and articles for you can find that there's also a link there to the comics in motion uh, feed which this show and of course tony's fantastic indie comic spotlight show can be found so that's all there do say hi you know uh, drop a line if there's a particular uh, book uh, like we've just talked about that you'd perhaps like to be the subject of a, a upcoming show by all means Uh, suggest it and um, we'll uh, see what we can do so all that remains for me to do is to say yet again tony thank you thank you so much it's been an absolute privilege thank thank you very much and to everyone out there hope you've enjoyed it stay safe and uh, see you down the road and um, next episode thank you very much bye now